Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Portions of the Oilers Now podcast are brought to you by ProAmSports.ca. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Keeping your office running like a well-oiled power play. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. It's 133 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer with you at Oilers Now. Uh, we'll have our Stanley Cup final prediction coming up at 143 or 44 or so with uh, Reed Wilkins, Jack Michaels, Brendan, and myself. But we're going to continue uh, our conversation with new Oilers assistant coach Manny Viveros. Manny. All right, so you go to Swift Current, you get things turned around, uh, go two rounds in the playoffs last year. How difficult was it to sell the board on going for it this year and and making the moves to mortgage a bit of a future to try to win a WHL title? Well, we certainly knew, uh, Bob, for us, uh, we knew we had a core of players this season that were pretty special, and they were uh, you know, carrying us for, for most part of the season until Christmas time. And for us to even get out of the East Division, we're going to have to you know, uh, add to our team and add some depth. And uh, um, you know, as this, uh, getting t- uh, closer towards the trade deadline, um, we kind of felt, or not felt, we, we looked at how expensive it was going to be because it was a Memorial Cup year. We knew Regina was going to be uh, uh, you know, buying at, at the deadline, and it was a weird year where there was eight or nine teams that were all buying instead of uh, majority of them selling. So we got ourselves into a, a situation where we knew it was going to be real expensive, and we told the board uh, this is what it's going to take. But you know, we have about three players on our team or four players on our team that you don't get it very often. And I said, this is our time. And it says we know going forward we're going to be in a bit of a rebuild, and it might be a long time before we're in this position again. One of the guys you brought in was Stuart Skinner. In your wildest dreams, do you, because I don't know if you thought you were going to need to rely on him as much as you did. Because at the end of the day, and I, and I know he didn't get WHL playoff MVP, but he could have easily, for my money, won the WHL playoff MVP. I mean, he outdueled Carter Hart head to head in the WHL championship series. Did you think he was capable of getting to that level? We. Kind of, yeah, we did. We did. We knew yep. that, just that potential that Stewart had, and uh, when he came over, um, right after we traded him from uh, got him from Leftbridge, uh, there were stretches there when he was unbeatable uh, in games or in practices, and he just continued to got better and better as we got to- going towards the playoffs. There, um, Stu had a couple rough stretches uh, in our, the first series against Regina, but it wasn't so much from Stu's point uh, part. It was from more from our team in front of him, and then, um, but he has a a great ability to be resilient when he has a bad goal or not a great game he usually follows it up with a, a real outstanding game and he was like that all the way through the playoffs what does he do really well and what does he need to work on the most for other fans listening to become I mean, we're t- this is going to be a four five six year process but third round draft choice for a goaltender this is the highest the orders have drafted a goalie in a long time so you know, what do you really like about his game, or what do you think he needs to work on the most as he works his way through pro? Well, for a, for a big uh, young man, he's very athletic. Um, he does have, uh, you know, the way he moves in the net. Um, obviously, his skating has to improve a little bit from side to side laterally, but that's something that he works on at all at all times. Though, but um, he's been improving in almost all areas since I, the short time that we've had him in Swift Current. But his athleticism has been really outstanding as far as uh, um, him to make um, never gives up on pucks as far as. Uh, when he's out of position, and his quickness has really impressed me also. All right. One of the things Swift Kern had the last two years, you had a great power play. I think you were 30-plus were percent both years or high 20s or something like that. I think you, you're the first or second in the league both years. What were the reoccurring themes to why you had success in the power play? 
Well, I think more than anything is, uh, you know, we weren't afraid to shoot the puck. We had some kids that had some pretty good skill, though, but without shooting the puck, you never have an opportunity to score. But um, it's where we were shooting the puck from was a big thing. Um, our percentages of, of where we were going to shoot the puck with traffic in front uh, certainly made a big difference. So, But we also, um, you know, try to implement uh, as far as moving, especially our kids on the flanks. Uh, they're pretty high-end skilled kids that see the ice real well. But whenever we got ourselves into trouble is that we, we were too static and not moving around as much. So we, we you know implemented a lot of movement into our power play and, and got our kids into situations where there's a little bit of movement forcing the you know the box so to speak to break down and uh, they were good enough to make plays to see the ice or get the puck towards the net and uh, it's been successful for our team. The orders went from fifth to thirty first on the power play when you met with. Uh and you ended up meeting with Peter Shirelli and Todd McClellan to discuss the position at some point. Uh, how much of the conversation existed around the power play? You know, Bob, we, we discussed, uh, you know, everything, all areas of, uh, you know, the, where the team wants to go next year also, too. We certainly talked about special teams also, too. Uh, but, Todd, uh, when we talked uh, numerous times um, over the last few weeks here, uh, it's going to be a collective group. Uh, right. All of us here is ma- uh, helping out in different areas and that. Um, but uh, Todd's open and can't wait to hear different ideas or possibly not just different ideas just how we present them and uh, and me also vice versa we're looking forward to getting together and uh, really hammering out uh, uh, you know the way we want to go forward Manny Viveros uh, see I grew up saying Viveros <laughs> Viveros uh, but uh, hey stop or go chase after that Viveros guy I'm like coach I can't get near him uh, but uh, so let me ask you this you, the orders have got Connor McDavid and Leon Drysettle are pretty gifted guys Ryan Nugent Hopkins has actually been quite efficient in his career running power play. Is it harder to coach skilled guys when they have that much ability? Because you've got to give the game over to them a bit, don't you? I certainly do. I think you have to allow their, um, you know, their instincts take over in a lot of areas like that. You can't harness all that uh, that high-end skill, let their instincts take over and just uh, a lot of times uh, not ad-lib, but allow them to be so creative when, when what they're doing within rules. Um, you know, a lot of times... I noticed at the junior level that um, you know the higher end skill players when things go really well then they're always looking for the, the you know the perfect pass and we were always the most effective when we kept it simple but we was ineffective and quick and we got the puck towards the net and, and everything was just coming off the stick with the purpose here and uh, you know but when you have high-end players like the kids like that, you got a lot, of, a lot of creativity. That because you know they see things that we we're not capable of seeing. And uh, well, actually, at that level, you were capable of seeing it, <laughs> right? Like you're a hundred-point yeah. defenseman in the league, so yeah. you were actually capable yeah. of seeing it. Do you think that helps a guy I, if if that was part of your game itself? Well, I, I certainly do. I think so. I think it's something that's always helped me in my career in the coaching side of it too. Right. Uh, I understand it um, as far as allowing that extra leeway as far as. Letting a higher skill player to try to make that play, um, if it works or if it doesn't work, you know, two or three times, then you got to make adjustments. There's no question about it. But um, you, when you have sometimes special players like that, you're going to have to let them, you know, you know, think on the go. And for the most part, uh, they're very successful. Well, let me uh, let me ask you this. I know Edmonton wasn't the only team that was in on you. Um, how many other teams contacted you during the course of the last six months? You don't have to name the teams. Just were we talking four or five different teams? Around that, around are, that are, part. Are, how flattering was that? I mean, there you were two years ago, coming back looking to get a job in junior hockey, and fast forward two years later, and you got five or six different NHL organizations reaching out. 
No, again, uh, Bob, you know, my, my wife and my family were blessed and very fortunate to have this opportunity. Um, you know, it's been a long time coming for an opportunity to get, to get into the NHL. And for us, uh, you know, coming to Edmonton, uh, negotiations last for me and my wife were like, three minutes we said we're going home and looking forward to it and hopefully we can be here a long time to help out all right uh ray ferraro uh by the way when i scored my 97th goal to break the whl record i cut around uh viveros to do it <laughs> do, you, do you remember that play <laughs> that happened a lot of time i can spell raise back spell raise back name back then all the time i remember one time in brandon they beat us uh Oh, I think it was our first year in the Western Hockey League. And I think they had beat us 10-1 or whatever. Like I think he had nine points. Really? That, night, that was minus nine that night. And Ray was yeah, on fire. But he did that to everybody, just not me. <laughs> you had the one tough year as, what, a 16-year-old. But by the time you were 17, 18, you are playing pretty good. 85 Memorial Cup, you guys win it. It was dominant. I mean, I think, who'd you play? You crushed them in the final. Like, you won, like, geez, off the top of my head. I thought you guys won, like, 6-1 or something like that. Is that right? No, that was uh, back then, the Schwinnikin Cataract. You, you yeah. beat them pretty good. Your team was swift this year, just run out of steam. Is that kind of what happened to you? You know, Bob, I never used that as an excuse. Um, you know, uh, everybody else is in the same boat uh, outside of Regina, and, and no no disrespect to Regina whatsoever. Um, but we went through a long haul. Uh, it was a long, lot of hockey, uh, a lot of overtimes. We had some kids banged up, um, just like Hamilton and also uh, Acadie. Also, they had a lot of uh, a lot of hockey here. But I could see it in our group. We were just we just couldn't get that energy level that we had or that we had during uh, you know our Western Hockey League playoffs and that. And uh, it was hard for us to duplicate that. But uh, you know, we were close. We were really close. You were. I mean, yeah. if you win that opening game against Acadie Bathers, it's a different tournament for them, and it's a different tournament for you guys as well. Manny, great stuff. Thanks for coming in the studio. Uh, you'll be sick of me by, well, maybe you already are, but by about a quarter of the way through the season. <laughs> Thank you for taking it. I, I think there's a lot of Edmontonians that are they're happy to see you, and uh, the fact that you chose the Oilers is going to have fans excited, and we wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thanks, Bob. All right, we're going to take a timeout. It's 142 in Edmonton, and when we come back in Oilers now, Jack Michaels, Reed Wilkins, Brennan Ulrich, just what you're waiting for. No, not really. Our uh, Stanley Cup final predictions on Oilers now. When you want to fly your Oilers colors with fan gear, or outfit your fan cave, there's only one place. ProAmSports.ca Jerseys, apparel, headwear, and memorabilia from your favorite players and teams. Whether it's the NHL, the CFL, the NFL, MLB, or more, ProAm Sports are your fan cave specialists. And if it comes with a ProAm Sports Certificate of Authenticity and hologram, you know it's 100% authentic, hand-signed memorabilia. So no matter who you cheer for, ProAm Sports has got your guy. Visit their Edmonton showroom on St. Albert Trail, fill your fan cave at proamsports.ca. That's proamsports.ca. This is Zach Cassian from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 6:30. Chad. Welcome back, everybody. 144 in Edmonton. Well, Brendan, you finally met Manny. Viveros. He's in great shape. He's jacked. He's <laughs> in pretty good shape. Yeah, eh? looks like he's still playing. It's going to be funny watching him maybe do some drills with the defenseman where they're walking the line and he might be better at it than a couple of them. Portions of Oilers Now brought to you by World Floor Covering. Tell them Oilers Now since you received two times the air miles, reward miles on your flooring purchases. Very quickly, we're going to get to this day in Oilers history for New West Travel. 38 years, Edmonton's premier travel company, May 28, 1987. Ah, where was I? Up near Fort St. John, B.C. The uh, Listening to Rod Phillips, the Flyers score uh, goals 34 seconds apart in the third period. They beat the Edmonton. Is, was 3-2 the final score in that game, Brendan? 
Or was it 2-1? It was 3-2. 3-2, yeah. Okay. Uh, to tie the Stanley Cup Final 3-3, May 28, 1987. Wow. Of course, the Oilers on May 31st, 1987, uh, would win. Uh, I was in Clearwater. I was not in uh, Fort St. John that year. Nobody cares except me. Uh, somebody's birthday on May 31st as well. Somebody that, uh, you know, has invested a lot of things over the years. Uh, anyhow, <laughs> wow. The Oilers, uh, May 28th, 1987. Uh, the Oilers were in the box the entire game, by the way. I remember. I think Edmonton was penalized nine or ten times during the course of that game. The Flyers were only penalized a couple times. Jean-Jacques Daniel got the game winner for Philadelphia to force it 3-3. That's this day in Oilers history brought to you by New West Travel. Again, uh, travel deals for weddings, honeymoons, and golf packages and employee corporate reward trips. Call the friendly staff at New West Travel, 780-432-7446 or uh, visit uh, newwesttravel.com. Without further ado, here we go. Let's see. Can you conference this or do I... Uh, Okay, what do I need to hit first? You've already done the conference button? Conference. Uh, all right, here we go. Uh, let's say hello to Jack Michaels. Jack, how you doing? Good, Bob. How are you? Good. Reed, how are you? Bob, there's an old saying. I wouldn't want to be part of any club that would have me as a member. And given my record through the first three rounds, I'm a little surprised I'm still part of the club to make predictions. But all right, you. let's get some up. Do we have updated totals, Brendan? Did uh, yes, you? we do. All right, what do you got? Reed is 6-8, and eight, you're 7-7, and seven, Jack 8-6, and six, and I'm 10-4. and four. All right, well, we all uh, feel shame and uh, bow in the direction of Brendan Ulrich. Jack, as a Pennsylvania native, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think back how old you would have been in 1987. Uh, so you, I don't I don't know if you were quite yet a teen or not, but I know you hated the Flyers. Uh, were you watching that series between the Oilers and Flyers back in '87? I was not 15 or anywhere close to it, but uh, I was watching that series with glee as the Flyers were beaten. I I was rooting against the Flyers in every series they've ever played. So. That, that makes two of us. <laughs> so. Yeah, I've never I've never cared for them, and in fact. I'd go one step further among the four professional sports. That's the franchise I uh, dislike the most. There you go. Uh, Reed, uh, how was your chicken date with Jack after uh, uh, <laughs> this, this, guy, uh, this guy named LeBron came through against the Toronto Raptors? Yeah, well, I think he proved again last night he is the greatest NBA player of all time. The, the, the chicken date was wonderful. Jack was very gracious. He didn't force me to uh, buy dessert or anything excessive that he didn't wind up eating. We were well fed at Northern Chicken last Wednesday. There we go. Time. There's your free plug, Northern Chicken. Uh, Jack, do you agree with Reed's thoughts that LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time? Now, that's just a deliberately provocative question because you know... <laughs> I not only disagree with him, but I disagree vehemently. Um, Michael Jordan's the best player of all time. Six and zero in NBA Finals. LeBron James is about to fall to three and five. Jack, what happens? What happens if LeBron pulls this thing off? Then it will be the greatest individual season in the history of the NBA. Yeah. Well, how many? Uh, chan- other than, I mean, I, I mean it. Other than Danny Manning, and that. Kansas team in 1988, I can't think of a more one-man gang than LeBron James and this year's Cavaliers. Isn't that when Kansas lined up like four guys on one side of the court and Danny on it went one-on-one with everybody? Isn't that how they used to... When your team is called Danny Manning and the Miracles, that trumps Michael Jordan and the uh, Jordanaires. I, I, look, 
Reed is right when he says Jordan at least had a sidecar named Pippen. LeBron hasn't had it this year, not even close. And to carry this team into the finals is, is an achievement, although what does it say about the Eastern Conference? Yeah, well, the Raptors obviously disappointed. Boston, hey guys, Boston's going to be good in a year from now. I think we can agree on that, given the significance of the injuries. Uh, well, what none of us had at the start of the season back in October this year was Vegas in the Stanley Cup Final. Are we now at the stage where none of us can bet against Vegas? Well, for the record, Brendan, you and my, we're we've both because of. Why well, you change your mind? Are you still going with the Caps here? Well, no, I told you I'd yeah? I'd okay. split it with you, so I'll I'll stick with the Caps and go with the Caps in six. You're going with the Caps in six. Going against Hugh Porter at Digitex, right? Because Hugh Porter's running hard. I already know where Jack's going. I I know right now because I know who Jet one of Jack's favorite players is in the entire league, Mark Andre Fleury. Jack. Yeah, I'm going Vegas in six. I do, Bob. You have crafted. I mean. One thing you've developed over three decades that none of us have is you have developed an affinity, even subconsciously, for slipping in reasons to predict both. And (laughs) I I think Jimmy the Greek would truly be respectful of your ability to cover all spreads. But in any event, Vegas and six is my pick. I think Washington's going to run out of gas. And I just think, well... I'm not making a, a grandiose observation here. This is obviously Vegas' this year. Reed? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, Fleury's the best player in the playoffs, obviously, though I really love what Holpe was able to, able to do, so I think he narrowed the gap in the goaltending matchup. But I still have to go with the team that has Marc-Andre Fleury in net. And, and tell you what, I, I'm going to be very specific here with my prediction. To finish off the fantasy season, for the Vegas Golden Knights, they will have the ultimate suspenseful fairy tale finish. I'm taking Vegas in Game Seven overtime. All right, Jack, I'm going to put you on the spot, and Reed and Brendan as well. But you're starting it. Is it bad for the NHL if Vegas wins the Stanley Cup? Does it make the league look Mickey Mouse? Because we've had no, that. No, I don't think so. You don't think uh, so? It- no, and the reason I say that is the NHL is still in a position, Bob, where they need nationwide stories. They need nationally syndicated programs talking about their league, their teams, their stories. It's just a fact when you're a distant fourth among the four North American professional sports. Not in my interest level, but in the grand scheme of things. Right. If you're looking at the all-encompassing North American outlook, I still think hockey constantly needs to be talked about. And that's why I don't think Vegas winning is a bad thing at all for the National Hockey League. Quite frankly, the opposite. And now, the NHL, more than the NFL, more than the MLB, certainly more than the NBA, can honestly say, when teams report to training camp in the first week of October, anyone can win. And they're the only league who can say that. Reed, your thoughts? I, I don't think it's a joke at all. I, I agree with Jack. I, I think it's a great story, and it probably has a lot of people south of the border at least paying more attention to the NHL than they have in the past, or maybe they ever have. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're paying a lot of attention to it, 
but at least maybe it's on their radar because it's such an incredible story. And it does prove that, that, that the league is wide open. If you get goaltending and you get confidence and you start feeling like, like things can go right when you hit the ice, there are so many teams that can, can rally and really grab it. So, you know, I don't think it proves that, uh, you know, all the other 30 GMs are bad or the coaches are bad. I, I think it's a team that took advantage of, uh, you know, they got some generous expansion rules compared to past teams. Sure, but they still they still went out there and, and, and did it. So I don't think it's bad for the NHL or makes the league look bad at all. Brandon? I think it's great. A lot of great storylines. And you can put this on the map. If it was Tampa Bay, Winnipeg, and the Stanley Cup Finals, and I going head-to-head against Game 7 of the Eastern Conference NBA Final, would anyone in the States care about the Stanley Cup? So I think it's a, this is great. It's a slam dunk for the NHL. So you think more people are interested because of the Vegas story? Yeah, because absolutely. Of, absolutely. Brandon's 100% right. Tampa, Winnipeg, Bob? You couldn't find those ratings. You couldn't find them. They wouldn't show up on Nielsen. There's definitely that perspective. Uh, final one for you, Jack. Maybe give me 30 seconds, if you can, on the Oilers' coaching changes. Well, I mean, look, you bring in a guy who's been a head coach twice in the league. You bring in a head. Co- you bring in another former NHL coach in Trent Yanni, who's a noted penalty-killing specialist. And then you bring in a guy, and I thought Todd really touched on something interesting here, that is somehow both experienced and up-and-coming and relatively young in his career at the same time. I honestly think it's a good mix. I'm not just saying that because my checks are signed by Oilers Entertainment Group. I think it's a good mix. I think Todd likes to be challenged occasionally and he's got three guys with enough experience to really create a pretty simmering melting pot when it comes to detailing the X's and O's of what the Oilers want to bring. Reed, enjoy your night off tonight. I will, Bob. Thank you. Uh, Jack, thanks for your time. Always, Bob. Take care, buddy. You bet. That's Jack Michaels and Reed Wilkins. Uh... Brendan Ulrich as well. Brendan, uh, we will be back at it tomorrow. Mark Spector, Stoffer Inspector for Horse Racing, Alberta Live Racing, Saturdays at Northlands Park. Uh, Mark will be in the studio. We're working on another guest as well. well we should quickly say why we think the Caps are going to win, Bob. Why do you think the Caps are going to win? <laughs> well, I don't know if they're going to win. I hope they win. But uh, one of the reasons would be, I think Holtby is a better goaltender than Hellbuck. And I think Winnipeg outplayed Vegas in that series. But Flurry was the difference. So if Holtby can play like he has... I think this should be very close, and maybe the game-breakers on yeah, the Capitals, yeah. such yeah. as Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, can get the job done. There's no question that Hellebuck in Game 3 and Game 4, in critical junctures against Vegas, Winnipeg was the better team for five of six periods yeah. in Vegas, and Hellebuck was not the better goaltender. If Holtby, if Holtby is equal to Marc-Andre Fleury... That won't be easy. He hasn't been in the past. Fleury's right. always outperformed him. Fleury's always outperformed him, but if he's as equal... Washington's got a puncher's chance, and what a great story. And I think that would, you know what, the fact that Ovechkin's gotten to the final this year, I think, has already changed that uh, that bias out there. And there's a bias that exists against Russian players as well. Again, we'll have Mark Spector in studio tomorrow on Oilers Now. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell, followed by the 6.30 afternoon news with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross. Again, Game 1, Stanley Cup final tonight between, and you all had this start of the year, or even the start of the playoffs, Washington Capitals and the Vegas Golden Knights here on 630 Chet, the play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oilers and the Edmonton Eskimos. So long, everybody.
Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Keeping your office running like a well-oiled power play. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A. On Oilers Radio, 630 Ched.